Good morning, everybody. I'm glad that some of you decided to stay rather than exit, right? Matt said the best part of the service is to leave. <laughs> Buddy, yeah. Over the past four weeks, Pastor Chad has helped us to explore a number of Jesus' parables. We've learned that those parables are not just winsome stories that Jesus told a long time ago, but in fact, these are stories, parables that cut to our very heart. Jesus used these parables to talk about who God is and in some who we are to be. And in all these parables, Jesus made demands upon our lives with these parables Jesus uttered the one command to us over and over, follow me. One author writes, church is not where we get what we want out of God. Church instead is God's means for getting what God wants out of us. So church is a place of worship. And church is a wonderful place of fellowship, but church is also a place of disruption. It's the place where we are urged, nudged forward in our discipleship because we over and over hear those words, Jesus says, follow me. That's true in all the parables that we've been looking at so far this past month and It's true in the parable that we're going to look at today. It's found in Luke chapter 15, and so if you have Bibles with you and find those in front of you, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 14, or 15 in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 15. It's the parable that I call the parable of the two lost sons and of the waiting father. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. As we gather around your word right now, we are eager to have you teach us. Help us to hear your word. Help us to hear those words of encouragement that some of us need to hear today. Help us to hear also those words of challenge, that way in which you are saying to us in new ways, will you follow after me? We come before you, gathered before you at your word, and teach us. May the words of my mouth and all the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In your name, amen. The context of this parable in Luke 15 is found in the very first verse of this chapter. Verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. There was an expectation that somebody like Jesus, a holy person, 
would only associate with the good, the righteous, the upstanding. But Jesus does more than that. Jesus actually welcomes and eats, which was a sacred experience. Jesus welcomed and ate with the marginalized, with the outcast. In response to this grumbling from the religious leaders, from the upright people, Jesus tells three stories. The story about a shepherd who lost one of his hundred sheep. The story of a woman who lost one of her valuable coins. And then our focus today, the story about two lost sons and a waiting father. These stories about, are, are about finding what is lost and about being full of joy when the lost is found. And we get this. We know the lightness of our spirits. We know the joy in our hearts when we find our phone, our wallet, our keys, our car. We all have the experience, right? We lose our wallets. We lose our keys. Some people in my life lose their phones a thousand times a day. I am now getting to that stage of life where sometimes I lose my car in the parking lot, which is terribly annoying. It's just awful. But when we find our keys, when we find our wallets, when we find our phone, when we find our car, there is this wonderful sense of joy in our hearts. We know this. The shepherd says, rejoice with me for my lost sheep has been found. The woman says, rejoice with me because my lost coin has been found. Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way there is rejoicing in heaven well, over one sinner who repents. Susanna Wesley was the mother of John and Charles Wesley, the founders of the Wesleyan movement from a couple hundred years ago. Altogether, she had 19 children. Eight of them were still alive when she finally passed. She was once asked, which child do you love the most? We know this story. Which child do you love the most? Which one is your favorite? And Susanna Wesley responded, the children I love She said, the children I love the most are the, ones, are the ones who are sick until they are well, and the ones who are far away until they are back home. And we understand that too. There is nothing that worries us more than a child who is sick. There is nothing that worries us more than a child who is far away. And there's nothing that brings us, if we're parents, greater joy than when that sick child is well or when that child who has gone far away is back home. And for me and for us, that is the context of what's going on here in this parable. Luke chapter 15, beginning at verse 11. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. 
the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the son got up, took all that he had, and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth on wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, but is alive again. He was lost but is found. And so they began to celebrate. The story is familiar to a lot of us. The younger son disrespects his father, disrespects his family. He takes his share of the inheritance and goes off to a far country and spends all of his inheritance in the most irresponsible and sinful ways, on alcohol, on drugs, on women, on gambling. But he hits bottom. And when he hits bottom, he finds that he is broke and homeless and hungry and tending pigs, and he comes to his senses and he says, I want to go home. This younger son said, I no longer deserve to be a son, but just to be a, a servant in the father's home, My father's home, that's enough. That's even more than I deserve, but I want to go home. And so he repents, and he starts on the long journey back home, back to his father, back to his family, and he repeats that plea over and over as he makes his way from the far country back home. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That is enough. And here's the wonder of the first part of this story. Verse 20. But while that younger son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. You know that feeling. When a child of yours goes missing... For 20 minutes, 
in an airport or in a department store or for years. You know that feeling when somebody that you love has gone missing is gone off to that far country and they make their way back. They make their way back home into your family, into your life. The son starts his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father will hear nothing of it. The father stops the son in his tracks in this repentance litany. And he simply says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feet a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead but is alive again. He was lost but is found. And so we must celebrate. Robert Frost once wrote, home is that place that when you go there, they have to take you in. This younger son, is now back home. Here's a picture of God's absolutely incredible, amazing, extravagant love for us. This is a picture of the love of God for us. This is the love that sent Jesus Christ to the cross for us. Paul says in Romans that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This parable, I am convinced, bears witness to the overwhelming message of Scripture. God is a good and gracious God who loves us so much, who peers over the horizon looking for us, who is so filled with compassion that He comes running towards us, whatever our far country might be. Our God is a good and gracious God who makes a way for us through the cross of Jesus Christ God is a good and gracious God who throws a party for us with tri-tip and ribs and some vegetables and robes and a ring and sandals. And he is always the God who says to us, follow me. This is all resurrection talk. This is life after death. This is the restoration in our lives after the locusts have eaten everything. This is the message from Jesus in Revelation. Behold, I make all things new. This is from Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones that rises up and becomes a vast and amazing army. The father proclaims to the younger son and to us, he was dead, we were dead, and yet he, we are alive again. We were lost, but now we are found. It is time to celebrate. This is the gospel. This is the message that we proclaim week after week. This is the word. This is what we celebrate at the Lord's table. Never let anyone tell you that you are not loved by God. Know that no matter how dark your far country is, know that no matter how distant your far country might have been, 
God is the one who loves you, who seeks you, who pursues you, who wants you to come home. Know that our God, the God of Scripture, is the one who, when we are lost and found, the one when we are dead or made alive again, who celebrates with great joy and throws a party. It's too good to be true, but it actually is. This is the extravagant love of God that Jesus shows us in this first part of the parable. But the story continues. Luke 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your, father, your, your son, your brother has come, he said, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never, never disobeyed your orders, but you've never even given me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but is found. The older brother is the good son. Compliant, good-looking, kept the rules, never broke curfew, never an embarrassment. He did well in school. He was responsible. He would do great in a career. He is the one every mother in the village wanted to marry his, their, her daughter. You know this guy. He's a good guy. But this good son is now angry angry at his brother for making a mess of his life and now coming back and expecting anything, angry at his dad for acting in such an undignified way, running towards his son. Patriarchs in that culture never ran, especially never ran towards a wayward son, angry because his dad was throwing a welcome home party for the party boy, the laughingstock of the town, the one who caused gossip and snickers and pity. The elder son is saying he should get what he deserves, send him back to the far country, make him pay for his mistakes, make him a servant maybe here, but don't throw him at father, a party father, dad, don't act like you're glad to have him back here. Dad, father, God, I do everything the right way. I always have. Why are you treating this one, your 
son so nicely. Throw the book at him. And more, why don't you give me a party? Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man, Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. The older son is a stranger in his father's home. The older son who lives surrounded by the love of the father is not able to extend that love towards someone who is lost, towards his brother. The older son is just as lost, if not more, than the younger prodigal son. How sad it is for us, how quickly sometimes we become just like that older son. We have received the love of the father as a child returning from our version of the far country, but we are unable to extend that same love, that same grace, that same mercy towards those who are now making their way back home for the far country. The primary context of this parable, you remember, is that Jesus is spending time with outcasts of that society, tax collectors, sinners, and the religious people didn't like that. Jesus shouldn't be spending time with them. He, shouldn't, he should only be spending time with the good people, the respectful people, the rule followers, the churchgoers, people like us. There's another context to this parable. The early church in the first days of, of the Christian movement, churches all around the uh, Roman Empire were gathering to listen to the scriptures, including Luke's gospel. And as those congregations gathered all around Roman Empire, new people were showing up in those churches, different types of people were showing up in those gatherings, rich people and poor people, saints and sinners, publicans and Pharisees, Jews and Gentiles, younger sons, older sons. The early church was asking, what do we do with these people? Is there room for these people, these different types of people in our congregation? How do we treat people like that in our midst? And must we? They saw that the way to treat different people is exactly the way that Jesus treated people and the way Jesus taught. We think to ourselves, as those first Christians did, who is deserving of God's love? And we make lists. We think who's in and who's out. For us, too often, it becomes either or. Jesus' actions and this parable cuts deep because Jesus never thinks either or. Jesus is always thinking both and. The good news is for those people who are terribly respectable and the good news is also for 
the poor, the homeless, the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the alien, the naked, the sick, the enslaved, the disabled. And the good news is for tax collectors and sinners and children and Gentiles. And the good news is for the broken and the confused and the addicted. Jesus says the good news is for everyone, for the righteous ones and the sinners, for the younger son and for the older son. Paul had to remind the early church, and maybe he has to remind us, in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, it's neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Paul in Galatians is saying that the church of Jesus is home for people, regardless of race and ethnic background, regardless of economic or social status, regardless of gender. Paul again writes, Ephesians chapter 4, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Or Ephesians 5.1, Paul says, follow God's example. How in the world? Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Methodist Will Willimon, bishop, says in one of his books, Jesus commands us neither to agree with each other, nor just to get along with each other, or just tolerate each other. Christ's people must love as deeply and broadly as Christ loves us. Mercy. The cross of Jesus Christ tears down every wall of division and hostility. We in the church are to do life even with people who are not like us. This is the radical message of Jesus. This is the demand of Jesus on our life. When we live our lives this way, in greater ways, we become a radically different community. Jesus said, the whole world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for each other. too easily we begin to act like the older son. How well do we love others who are part of our church? As followers of Jesus, we are to love each other, other under the cross of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. We are a fellowship of difference. We're not all the same. We're different, some more than others, but we're all different, and that's what makes the church so wonderful. We are to risk embracing each other. We are to take responsibility for each other. We are to receive each other. No one is excluded. We are one in Christ. 
And that's what this table is all about. How well do we do loving those that we meet out in our world? The clerk at the grocery store, the aggravatingly slow driver in front of you on your commute. Don't want to talk about that. The waiter who can't get your order right or get it to you quick enough. Someone whose story doesn't match mine. The invisible person. The child on the spectrum. The co-worker who seems to do everything she can to sabotage your work. Those who are suffering. Those with dementia. Those who are fearful. Those who are confused. Those who are lonely or in this dreadful election season, the person, the fellow citizen, your brother, your sister, who doesn't think or vote the same way you do. The cross of Jesus Christ tears down every dividing wall of hostility. Before anything else, we are one in Christ, and there is nothing that separates us. There is no one who is excluded all of us belong in the family. There is always a home for every person. Jesus' parable here leaves us hanging without a conclusion. The father at the end of this parable invites his oldest son into the party. Verse 31, he says, my son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. Will you come and share in your brother's return? Will you come to the party? What will the older son do? The parable ends. Will this older son, this boy who is also lost, will he come into the party? Or will he walk away? What about us? What about you? What about me? What will we do? What will you do? Maybe today you are like the younger lost son who's in the far country. Will you come back home? Will you receive the love of the Father and follow the ways of Jesus, will you meet Jesus at this table in just a few moments? Or maybe you are like the older son, the older lost son. Will you commit yourself to extend love and grace to other people? Will you commit yourself in the name of Jesus to do all that you can to break down those dividing walls of hostility. You can make that commitment at this table today as well. The Father in His great love is waiting. For you, for me, He's waiting. Come home. Come to the party. Jesus says, follow me. What will you do? Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, we hear your gospel, your extravagant, amazing, crazy, hard gospel. Help us to receive your love in new ways. Help us to extend that love to those around us. In your name, for your glory. Amen.